I think it's time that we start the conversation to silence the shame. Silence the shame. Silence, silence the shame. Silence is the difference between treatment or pain, life or death. Silence the shame. Speak up now and silence. 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 Silence the shame. What's up, good people? This is your girl, Shanti Das, the co-host of the Silence the Shame podcast, here with my main right-hand man, Free the Vision. What's good, Free? What's up, Shanti? I am good. There's a lot going on in the world, but I'm good. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. How's your I'm, family doing? My family's doing well, um, thankfully. So everybody's um, maintaining. Yeah. Like you, there is a lot of things going on in the world. So much. Um, for us, it's just so much going on, period. So we're, but everybody's doing really well, and I'm very proud of us collectively. Absolutely. And... I am just grateful to still be able to, to do this work um, with our amazing Silence of Shame team. Um, all of our, well, we have two full-timers and our consultants and our committee members and our incredible board members. And, and, and we want to thank you, the listeners um, that tune in and, and check out our podcast. Uh, we're back up and rolling now. We're getting you guys content on a regular basis um, through this pandemic. Um, and, and we're just grateful and we're always excited to have these superstar clinicians on with us and and we want to welcome back give a warm 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 welcome to one of our resident clinicians dr april stallworth what's up dr april hey everybody it's good to see your faces again 2020 has been no joke so you know i've seen a three-year-olds every day for a long time. So it's good to see some adults and hear some coherent language. <laughs> well, <laughs> we, we, we love you and we've missed you. Um, I've missed you guys. And, and it's gonna be a really powerful conversation today. And, and we are just truly, truly honored and humble to have this young man on with us. And before I introduce him, um, I just wanna, I don't know, the spirit is moving me to just start with a prayer. Yeah. We're just going to do a really quick prayer um, because, again, I, I think this is going to be um, an incredible conversation. So if you guys would just close your eyes for a second, if you're listening, just close your eyes. And I just want to ask our Heavenly Father to lift us all up, to protect us from all the negativity, all the anxiety, all the stress, all the uncertainty, all that's happening in our world that our black community and our people of color are facing right now from police brutality to discrimination to the uncertainty um, in the law right now, the law of the land. Um, our leaders, Lord, are we're questioning almost their every moves right now, Lord. And I just ask that you wrap your arms around all of the guests that will be featured on today's podcast, but for all of you that are listening, Lord, we just ask for protection. We ask for grace. We ask for mercy. We ask for strength. And we ask you to empower our special guest, Leon, as he continues, Lord, to be used for your will for the good of our people. In these things we pray. Amen. Amen. That was excellent. Thank you. That was great. I can't ask. I can't. Um, I don't know. I just felt moved to. That was. You had to be because you just did that one. So let let's give a warm welcome to Mr. Leon Ford. Welcome to the hey, show. Hey, my God. 
I, I appreciate it. And that, that prayer was, it was powerful and it was timely. So thank wow. you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, you know, when, when the spirit moves you, you just got to go with it. Uh-huh. I'm going to let free kick this off since this freeze baby and bringing this incredible conversation to silence the shame. And then I will jump right in and then Dr. Stallworth will jump in. Okay. Well, first of all, Leon is my, is my guy. Me and Leon have been friends for um, some time now, maybe short after the incident that we'll get into in a second um, that he had went through and not for nothing. I've always told Leon this too. A week before I lost my job, that started me on my entrepreneurial journey and um, that I almost felt was coming. I spoke to Leon a week before and told him like, man, you know, things are getting kind of shaky over here. And Leon told me like, well, you already know what you're about to have to do because I'm telling you that that's about to come to an end. And that Monday, I talked to Leon maybe Thursday. I took off Friday. That Monday, when I came back, they fired me. And so, um, which was a complete blessing because ever since then I have been able to live in the um, career and gifts and talents and things um, that I've wanted to do. And very early on, years ago, after Leon, and when Leon was first kind of getting into his activism too, I was able to, in that process, give him a platform to be able to speak and tell the things that he's gone through. So we have been just kindred and connected through all of this distance and I have so much respect for him. And so um, Leon, I'm, I, I wanted to say that while you're sitting here and we're able to kind of talk about it and so it could be public. Appreciate that, bro. Um, always. And I wanted to ask you um, to kind of start off a little bit for those who maybe don't know your story, how maybe, it, how your life changed on November 11th, 2012. And then we can we can kind of build from there so we can set the foundation. Perfect. So um, November 11th, 2012, it was a Sunday. Um, I was 19 years old, right? And so if you could think about a 19-year-old, I was just trying to figure out life, right? I had um, signed up for uh, classes at our community college here in Pittsburgh. I had um, started... Uh, a course to get my CDLs um, so I can, you know, drive trucks. I was boxing and I was, you know, exploring like the arts. I was rapping and I was filming music videos and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was like, you know, full of life trying to, trying to find myself, you know, who am I and what do I want to do? So on that, that Sunday I was driving from uh, my house I stopped at my uncle's house, actually right across the street from where I live now. I bought the house across the street. Uh, and so that was the last house that I walked out of, actually. Um, and so I stopped at my uncle's house. When I left my uncle's house, I got into my vehicle, um, made a left right down the street. So one way, so I'm driving down on one way, the correct way. And there's a, a police cruiser coming up the wrong way. And so, you know, I was looking at this vehicle, I'm like, yeah, what the hell are they doing? You know, and so as, you know, we crossed each other, as they drove past me, I was looking at them. They were looking at me. And in that moment, I knew that they were going to pull me over. You know? um, 
19 years old, I had a decent car. It was a 2006 Infiniti. I had tenant windows. And, um, you know, it's one of them things like, you know, as a young brother, you know, exactly, like when you make that eye contact Absolutely. with those police officers, it don't matter mm-hmm. what you're doing, you instantly know, like, okay, let me get my driver's license ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So it was one of those situations where I was like, all right, let me get my driver's license ready. So I, you know, I, I got my things ready. I made a left on uh, a street. I drove up the street. I've been looking in my rear view, don't see them. I made a right across the bridge. As I was driving across that bridge, I seen them, you know, and they were they were flying. They didn't have no uh, uh, police lights on or anything. Uh, but I seen them, you know, speeding behind me. And so, you know, I continued to drive. I was just waiting for them to put their lights on. And um, eventually they put their lights on. Um, I immediately pulled over. Uh, one of the officers came to my window. You know, he flashed his light in my car. He snatched my license off of me. And, uh, you know, I'm like, hey, what are y'all pulling me over for? They don't say anything, all right? They just take my stuff, go back to their cruiser, ran my name. They uh, put my name in their MDT. Uh, I didn't have any warrants or anything, so my name's clean, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead of just writing me a citation for whatever they was p- going to pull me over for, um, they put L Ford into their uh, MDT. So when they put L Ford in their MDT, you know, several hundreds of names came up. You know, Linda, Larry, you know. And, you know, Lamont happened to be the name that they selected. But we found out through investigation um, that they were actually investigating Lamont Ford. So they knew exactly who he was. Uh, Yeah, it's crazy. Um, And in fact, um, through, you know, my lawyer's investigation, everything, um, a lot of times in the media, they'll say, you know, they thought Leon Ford was a criminal or a gang member named Lamont Ford. Well, Lamont Ford didn't even have a warrant for his arrest. Mm. Right. So that part, you know, get that get left out of the story a lot of times. Um, and so they made me out to be Lamont Ford. They came back to my vehicle. You know, um, you know, do you know Lamont Ford? I told them, no, nah, I don't know Lamont Ford. You know. Uh, and he said, yo, uh, you look just like Lamont Ford. You know? Like, right, like, we don't Ford, you know? All black uh, people look alike, huh? Uh, exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, after like five or six minutes, it went from, you know, are you Lamont Ford to, we know you're Lamont Ford and, you know, we, we know you're lying about who you are and if, you know, if we find out that you're really Lamont Ford and you're not Leon Ford, we're gonna we're gonna beat your ass. Right? But your license said Leon, right? My license said Leon. So I, I don't. I mean, come on, get me out here. And my car was registered to Leon, right? Oh. And my regi- car, you know, so my insurance said Leon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they weren't taking no for an answer. You know, six minutes turned to about eighteen minutes. Hmm. And now, you know, it's just threats at this point. And, um, you know, I, I have a, I have a, I'm, I'm very calm. And so, 
You know, I'm just like, yeah, what are y'all doing? I'm I'm not Lamont Ford. My name is Leon Ford. My birthday is 316.93 and so on and so forth. Um, but they insisted that I was lying. Eventually, one of the officers uh, reached inside of my window and he unlocked the car door, uh, opened the door, and they went and they, they grabbed me. And so when they grabbed me, I already had my mind made up that I was going to pull off. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I put the car in, uh, I turned the, up, turned the car on, put it in drive. And um, what I didn't know was that they had called backup. Mm-hmm. The other officer was on the passenger side. And mm-hmm. so when I drove off, that officer jumped inside my vehicle and he immediately started firing. All right. And so I uh, pulled off. You know, was I, he in your car when you were driving? Yes. Oh, okay. Mm. Yep. So when I pulled off, he jumped inside the vehicle. Mm. You know, his gun was already out and instantly, you know, he started firing. And so I heard I mean, this. That shot. was almost like point blank, right? Because if he was that close to you. Yeah, it was point blank range. Yeah, like I, I have the hoodie. Uh, the hoodie uh, is actually at my dad's house. But you can you can literally see the burns. Oh my gosh! The hoodie. That's how close he was to me, um, and w- which is a blessing because I got shot with um, hollow tips, right? And so the type of bullet that I got shot with, they, it, the bullet expands as it's traveling, right? So if he was further back, the holes would have been much bigger. Would have harder. Yeah, it, it would have done much more damage. And so instantly, you know, he started firing. I didn't feel anything, you know. Um, I just remember crashing. And uh, when I crashed, I went about 15 feet. Um, I crashed into a porch. So when I crashed into this porch, I just remember, you know, being yanked out of the car and slammed down on the ground. They handcuffed me. Um, you know, where's the guns, where's the drugs, you know, that type of thing. Um, I was saying, I don't have any guns, I don't have any drugs. Um, I thought they tased me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it was until I, I started to taste the blood in my mouth and the smell, right? It smelled like fireworks, right? I smelled that, that gunpowder and the burning uh on my clothes and i was like wow y'all y'all shot me you know and it was that moment where i thought that i was gonna die um and so i I began to breathe you know um and i just focused on my breathing until Mm -hmm. the ambulance came there the ambulance got there they rolled me over cut my clothes off um and i just remember i didn't want to stop talking right and so i would say yo my name's leon ford you know, my, you know, I gave them my birthday, I gave them my parents' names, gave them my parents' birthdays, my parents' phone, phone numbers, my grandma's phone number. And I just was, you know, just talking, telling them everything about me, you know, about, you know, how to reach my family. I went until I passed out, you know. I had no concept of time. I just remember waking up in the ICU, had tubes down my throat, you know, um, doctor or nurse was putting a light in my eyes, um, paid one out again, wake back up, and this time I was up for a little longer. And one of our uh, doctors, you know, it was, uh, I don't even remember if it was a man or a woman, 
Uh, but I just remember, you know, someone saying, you know, we have good news and we got bad news. You know, the good news is you're going to survive. Uh, the bad news is you won't walk again. Mm. Um, shortly after that, I remember officers uh, coming into my room, taking pictures of me. And uh, what I didn't know is that I was being arraigned in the hospital. Uh, I was, yeah, I was charged with um, rec uh, three counts of reckless endangerment, three counts of aggravated assault, uh, escape, uh, resisting arrest, and a few other charges. And so um, I woke up to, you know, find that I was paralyzed, but also I was under arrest. And uh, my family wasn't allowed to see me because I was under arrest. And so during this time, my family was trying to figure out where I was at. They didn't even know that I was shot, right? Um, <clears throat> my dad knew that uh, we usually work out every morning. And so uh, I didn't show up to work out. And he called my mom, you know, and my mom, they were calling all my friends. They were like, yeah, where is Leon, right? It's, he always answers his phone, where is he? And um, which was scary for my parents because, you know, my parents already lost a child. You know, when I was 13, my 10-year-old sister was hit by a truck and she was killed. And mm. so they were, you know, they, they didn't know what to do. And so um, they found out that my car was at the pound. And so they were like, Yo, well, is he under arrest? They called the county jail. I wasn't at the county jail. And um, my dad said he just seen the news and seen my car. And, and that's how he found out. It took almost two weeks for them to get a court order. Uh, to see me, and it was my mom. My mom, they only let one person in. My mom actually uh, came to see me. Uh, she wasn't allowed to touch me. Um, I remember, you know, she tried to kiss me and one of the officers just screamed at her, like, yo, don't touch him. Yeah, and- uh, My gosh. Yeah, that was the beginning of my flight, you know? And, mm. um, you know, since then, you know, I I, I was, I, I never considered myself an activist. Um, I just, I was literally fighting for my life. I had, you know, prior to that, I, did, I probably didn't even know who my mayor was. I had no understanding of politics. Uh, I didn't get involved in social issues. I was just trying to have fun, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so this, you know, caused sort of a political awakening. Uh, and I just had to figure out, you know, how I was gonna stay free and you know during that fight i realized that this happened to so many people um and and i wanted to prevent it from happening to anybody else well, oh my God. well first of all just i'm so sorry that that happened to you um and just thank you for your bravery and your fight and your desire to want to share your story to help hopefully help others um, what what type of emotional toll Leon did this take on you through that and, and I, I know things probably progressed and you know we have to hear more of what happened with the case but I can only imagine what this did for your mental wellness I know it was tough completely destroyed me yeah. right I mean it's hard to even put it into words mm -hmm. you know, the fact that you know I'll I was completely like my first of all, my manhood was taken away. Mm. Right. It's like I, I was a boxer, I was athletic, 
you know, I was, I was physical and, you know, I, I took pride in my physicality, you know what I mean? My manhood would, like the foundation of my manhood um, was, you know, my, my ability to dominate, right? It's like, I grew up, whereas like growing up, you know, my dad was like one of my biggest, you know, role models and all I heard was, oh, I remember your dad beat this person up and I remember your dad did this or your dad was playing for, like, and so for me, it was like, that was manhood to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so for that to be taken away from me and now I'm in a wheelchair and now it's like, I'm insecure about myself, right? That was like one of the first things was like uh, my insecurities. Um, and that just led into deep, dark depression mm -hmm. and you know, uh, feeling, you know, abandoned, feeling unappreciated, feeling like a burden on my family. Um, and, and, you know, those feelings um, really, you know, put me in a, a mindset that said, you know, I, I wasn't good enough and, you know, I couldn't, you know, have a good life. So that, those were my first, first thoughts. But I always knew that, that I didn't want to stay there. Mm -hmm. Dr. Stallworth, you want to weigh in? Yeah, I am. Um, you have to excuse me. You know, I, uh, there's a part of me as a, you know, the scientist, you know, psychologist, clinician that just wants to take you and like put you in a box and just study you and watch, watch you. Um, you know, I just, I marvel at the way that you're able just to communicate your feelings, you know, and that's, that's just something that is so, I know people think that that's such an easy thing to do. Um, and it's not, it is not easy to actually convey the feeling that you're feeling in the moment, you know, to hear you say, you know, I felt insecure or, you know, I, it led to depression or feelings of sorrow, feelings of sadness, or I felt afraid, like, you know, a lot of people can't do that, you know, and it seems like it's so simple when you're neurotypical, you know, when you don't have a trauma on board, it seems so simple. But when you experience something and you have, in your case, trauma on top of trauma, you know, experiencing the the death of your sister and then experiencing your own um, situation. There was something that you said in your video that really um, blew my mind. And I think that it's just, it was just a really great way of, of conceptualizing when you said, I don't know who I am without the chaos. Right. You know, I just thought that that was phenomenal just to be able to say that and to watch you come to that cathartic moment. Um, because a lot of people don't know, you know, what, who am I without all of this? on board, like what is my identity? Like who am I now? You know, and it's almost like a rebirth. Like I have to start over identifying and developing and these are my hands, you know, and this is what they do and these are my, you know, and so I'm just, I'm just I honestly marvel at that and, um, you know, and, and, and surviving trauma and, you know, living through trauma and thriving through trauma is something that takes a great emotional feat. I mean, it takes a lot of, you know, I call it the fight of your life you know, to fight back because the fight that you're fighting is you, uh -huh. you know, um, you know, there was, yes, we know that there was external peripheral things that, that caused a lot of the, the drama, but at the end of the night, you know, when it's just you, you know, that, that fight is no joke. So I just, I just marvel at it. I have so many questions, you know, I don't want to ever take up the entire podcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, um, I just, you know, I did have um, one question just for when you, 
in our country, you know, so much is going on right now. Do you kind of keep yourself away from that or do you indulge in, in seeing or, or um, I don't want to say watching, but, you know, partaking in, you know, looking at the other things that are happening to some of your peers and some of the people across the country? Do you um, allow yourself to kind of watch that or, or participate in, you know, looking at that or do you kind of keep yourself back from it? Yeah, I've I mastered uh, the, the ability to keep myself informed enough, but not allowing myself to be consumed. That's very good, yeah. Right? So I know enough, like I know what's going on, mm-hmm. right? But I'm not in it enough for it to, to completely take me off my square. Right. I still have to operate as, as a father, right? I still have to operate as a son and as a friend and as a, as a businessman, right? And so it's like our, our reality is, as, as black and brown people is our reality, right? Um, but it, it, it's like, you know, if I, if I allow, allow myself to, to become consumed by what's on social media or, or what's in, in the news, and I lose my balance. And so that's where, you know, seeing my therapist every week, you know, like I don't just go to my therapist, you know, in, in, a, in a, a moment of, of stress and chaos, right? That's how it started, right? But I really see the benefit in going consistently. Like some my sessions aren't even heavy anymore, right? Like I, I'm laughing in therapy, like, you know, I'm talking about like relationships and business ideas. Um, and then sometimes like I know on Monday when I go back, it's going to be heavy because of this whole uh, Breonna Taylor verdict, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the fact that I have this maintenance keeps me balanced. And I also meditate and practice mindfulness, right? And so that is also a part of my routine that keeps me balanced. And um, I, th- I just think, it is important, you know, for us as as uh, black and brown people to have a routine that keeps us balanced. Because if we if we lose our balance, right, then we deconstruct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of therapy, you had a quote in your film about therapy. Do you remember that quote? Uh, Seeing a therapist was one of the most courageous things yes. I've ever done in my life. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Can you talk about the power of therapy as a black man and how, you know, stigma is still really prevalent, um, and especially amongst, you know, our young black and brown men. And, and just, you know, I am so grateful that you chose therapy and that you still choose it to get you through, right? Because life is still very difficult for you and your family. But the fact that you didn't just do it in the moment and that you're using it as a wellness tool, I applaud you for that. And can you just share a little bit more around the process of going to see a therapist as a black man? Right. Yeah, I, I believe everyone should see a therapist, right? And oftentimes I hear people say, man, I, oh, man, I shouldn't be complaining because I know what you went through. And I'm like, no, like. What you go through is significant to you Mm -hmm. and it's important to you, right? And so it doesn't, you don't have to wait until you go through something extremely traumatic to see a therapist, right? Mm -hmm. Just like you don't, you don't have to wait until you, you may not like 
you know, the look of your body to go to the gym, right? It just kind of makes you just feel better. Just the thought of just going to the gym or getting that membership is going to make you feel a little better about yourself, you know? Right. Uh, and, and so uh, that's what therapy is, right? Therapy is like, I call it maintenance because mm -hmm. it's like, if, if, if you drive a car and, and, and you don't put gas in it, right? You're going to break down. Or if you don't change the oil, right? The engine is going to lock up, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so, um, you know, going to therapy, it, it, it helps you and it, and it has helped me process thoughts better, right? So mm -hmm. as a businessman, I'm able to think more critically, right? Uh, I'm able to... Um, be a better father again a better son i'm i'm more present when i'm with my son i'm more present when when i'm with you know chilling at my grandma's house i i, I can feel the difference i can see the difference and it's deep because even people that i've had you know relationships and friendships with in the past they can see the difference now mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. uh, and, and so i just think you know and i encourage you know uh everybody especially black men to, to see therapy because we suppress so much right like yo like i remember you know not only my my dad and you know cousins just the black men in my life you know how many times i heard suck that shit up <laughs> you know what i'm saying uh -huh. like, i've heard that so many times in my life yo suck that shit up and i even said it to my son a few times with without even realizing it you know, second nature, you know, and, and that's what you've seen in that video, right? Where it got heavy and you you heard me hold my breath, right? And 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 and, and you that's that sucking that shit up. That's what that is, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you're holding in that that adversity, you're holding in that trauma, you're holding in that that pain, you you're holding in that hurt or that discomfort, and you just kind of bury it, right? And so therapy is like helps you release in a healthy way. I, I see men, you know, interacting with their son or with their daughter or with their, you know, their, their woman. And I'm like, dang, bro need to go to therapy. Cause <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Because it's like, I can see certain things just being released in a space where, you know, he may not even be triggered, right? Like, or like it's just coming out just, just because it's this just so much in bubbling out. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And so I think it's important, you know, especially man, I, I've been doing a lot of work with activists, right? They're they're, you know, severely traumatized. Mm -hmm. You know, and like um uh Tamika Mallory, she had posted, you know, yesterday at the protest, you know, she said, Yeah, they told us to go home right now, but we out here. And I my heart just hurt so bad for her because I just wanted to hug her mm -hmm. you know? and, and you know she has this platform and she's a phenomenal leader um, however I just want her to heal right and and because she is on the front lines in that capacity right leading so many people she I'm, I'm watching her and her mental health and I'm just, I just want to hug her and, and yo, because you can, we're watching people experience burnout, mm -hmm. right? And while we are, you know, so focused on 
a hero, right? Like a lot of people was focused on Leon Ford as a hero. Like you're so amazing. You're so inspirational. Oh my goodness. Like I love your smile. And I was dying on the inside. Mm. Right? And so it's important for us to acknowledge someone's pain, acknowledge someone's hurt and, and to encourage them to heal. Because if we put too much emphasis on their hero, they're be, they be running on fumes and we might not even be you know, mm-hmm. aware that we are perpetuating this cycle of brokenness. And mm-hmm. if, you know, they, you know. We're not looking out for the human. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So we have- I think that, that that's definitely, people get so caught up in their emotions when it comes to the activism. And it's not that it's a negative thing. It's just that at some point, there has to be a moment when you stop and breathe and look around for a second and just say, mm-hmm. I got to take a breath. Um, I, I, I just, I hear you on that. I did have one quick question for you, if I can, just real quick. The, um, you know how like when you go to church and they, they call you down to the altar and you have that moment where you're kind of like, should I go, should I not go, should I go? You know, that first going to therapy, that, that first, right before you went to that first session, did you have that like, I'm gonna go, well, no, I'm not gonna go. Or, or was it like, I'm going no matter what I have to go? Like what, for, for young men who might be listening who are kind of vacillating between that, should I do it? Like, what was that feeling that you were feeling or what was happening like the week before or right before you chose to, to start going to therapy? Yeah, so they call that, and you, you, I'm pretty sure you're, you're familiar with this. That's the uh, pre-contemplation stage, right? Um, and, and so my pre-contemplation stage was lasted probably like three, three years, right? So I had this idea of therapy and like I knew I kind of wanted to go right and like when you look and, and I'm nervous like when you got church and you're looking down there like do I really want to walk down there in front of everybody you know what I'm saying like I had that lasted like three years you know and you know I I did research I talked to I had a mentor named Dr. Logan who was a licensed therapist um and and and, and so I would talk to him you know, and he would give me language and I would take the language and go on social media with it. And I would talk about healing and, you know, inspiration. Uh, But it's one thing to take a meme or two, right? Or a quote and and to post it with a picture smiling. It's a completely uh, different process to actually go. Mm -hmm. That process took three years. And when I decided to go, my life completely transformed for the better. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, I when whenever we talk, first of all, I never really say much. We've done a, a few. I've interviewed Leon more than once, and just like, of course, we have our own personal conversations. But I'm always in awe of you, bro. Like so much. And um, there are a couple of things that I do want to ask. One, first of all, I wanted to ask, how long after your experience was it before you were? okay with being able to talk about it and what made you get like what helped you get to the point of being able to share your story and to do this work and have to repeat that story multiple times for many people who may not be um fully healed or processed or whatever it is for many people that's triggering to have to tell this story multiple times and live through that already going through the constant reminder of um of just life, your day-to-day life. Right. Got you to the point where you had the courage to discuss it, to say that, okay, I can I can discuss this and maybe it's not as emotionally heavy to discuss it. Right. 
And then I'm gonna have a follow-up question after that, but I wanna know that. Yeah, so it was mentorship, bro. Like, you know, because I had some great mentors, they seen the strength and the power that was within me. And so the first time I ever spoke about my story publicly, it was because I, I have a mentor named uh, Jason Rivers, right? And I also have a, a, a mentor, a mentor, Brother Malcolm, right? And so these two men kind of like, they did, they, they poured into me. They, they seen my strength. They told me how great I was. They told me how amazing I was. And they told me that I was valuable. And, you know, they also like showed me that I was valuable, right? Uh, by creating a space for me to share. And so there was an event, it was called the We Promise Summit. And these men, you know, invited me to speak and to share my story in front of all the black men, right? All the seniors uh, from Pittsburgh mm -hmm. Public Schools, right? So, you know, every black senior, uh, black male senior from the whole district. Was senior, senior as in high school student. High school student, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they had me as a keynote, bro. Mm -hmm. Yo, and I was nervous. I stuttered. And I didn't see my value. But they, they, they uh, provided this platform. And, you know, I, I spoke. And when I spoke, all these young men, they were so inspired and they had questions and they were like, yo, I could relate to that. Like, you know, I've been through this and they start talking and they start sharing their stories and that feeling like, yo, like this is purposeful, uh -huh. right? They helped me see that. And sometimes, you know, it's how we frame stories, right? Uh -huh. Or how we frame questions. If we, talk to people like they are valuable, like they are assets, right? And we, you know, speak life into them. They will be more open and vulnerable, you know, as they share their stories because they, they, they may have been abandoned or they, they, they may, you know, have these feelings of, of rejection, right? That's causing them to suppress their pain, right? But when we show them that they're valuable, like these mentors showed me, then they'll be more, you know, likely to share. And so that that was the start for me. Um, perfect, first of all. And then second, I wanted to talk about the, have you ever heard of the concept, the wounded healer? And yeah. so essentially the concept is that most people who are working in healing spaces are often wounded themselves while going through that space, which, which, you, which you spoke about when you said, I look at all of these different activists and I know that they're severely traumatized and you're dealing in trauma work. So it's kind of like, you know, in and of itself contagious. Mm. So um, as energy is contagious. And I wanted to ask you, um, I know that we talk about therapy and I know that you earlier said um, that therapy has helped you process this, but like when, what was it that helped you realize that, because me and you spoke about this personally, I'm, I'm wounded right now, but I'm also a little bit superficial in the praise and the accolades that I'm getting from being seen as the hero, 
being seen as an activist, and I'm allowing that to become this new false sense of pride and recognize that that was actually a wound versus it being something that was supposed to be like that. You were supposed to be empowered. You're supposed to feel, you know, positive from being uplifted. How did you know that difference? Because it got to a point where I wasn't fulfilled anymore from that praise. Mm. And so I was literally running on fumes, right? It's like, I mean, if your cup is empty, your cup is empty. I don't care how nice the cup may be looking on the outside. You can can have a nice, a beautiful, empty cup, right? And and so if you don't have nothing to pour, eventually you are going to crumble, Mm -hmm. right? And it's best to crumble privately than it is to crumble publicly, right? And and so um, for those of us who was once wounded healers, right? It's up to us to kind of step in and and, and to, you know, offer advice and insight to those wounded healers because, you know, like for instance, when I was out doing that work, right? When I was really on on the ground organizing and even after, you know, my case, right? So, I was found not guilty of uh, all the charges, right, in 2014. In 2018, right, I settled with the city of Pittsburgh, right? So I, I, went, I went to a, a, I had a civil trial. There was a hung jury, right? And then a few months later, I settled. After I settled, you know, I went into a depression, right, because I was addicted to that chaos. I was so used to fighting the city and every part of my life was a strategy, right, to, to get justice. Um, and then like once I settled, which was an interesting process w- w- within itself, um, you know, to realize that the district attorney never filed these charges, right, on, on these police officers, I learned during my civil trial, right? Because I thought the civil trial, like they were gonna get found guilty and these officers were going to go to prison, right? But during the civil trial, I that's when I learned that it was about money, right? So just imagine my mindset is like, yo, these officers are about to go to prison. And then I'm realizing even if I win, I'm just gonna get money. Well, that's what that's what's playing out right now before our eyes, right? With the Breonna Taylor case. Yeah. I I knew in my heart of hearts when they settled last week for it'll be a couple weeks ago for twelve million dollars. I knew something was wrong. Then I saw them barricading up, saying, you know, that they were about to announce, you know, if any of the officers. I was like, oh, this is all smoke and mirrors. It's it's all bad. None of them are going to jail. They're not going to be arrested. And to your point, Leon, once again, around a case with an African-American, yourself, Brianna, we can keep naming names. It it ends up being about money and they think black people can be bought. And that's what infuriates me so much. And, you know, this happened to you, Leon, in 2012, which is the same year that um, Trayvon Martin 
passed away and his life was taken at the hands of not a police officer, but someone who, who was a, what, a neighborhood <laughs> watch guy, if you will. Want to be. <laughs> yeah, a neighborhood people and so I just feel like there's just been so many stories and stories and stories. And again, as we talk about Breonna Taylor, that, and I know you said you are very mindful of what you consume, right? And, and how you consume this information. But there are so many things that you can play side by side, right? In terms of juxtaposing your case with that case and so many similarities. There has to be some level of PTSD and trauma. And so, what else do you do outside of seeing your therapist to try to recenter yourself and pour back into everything? Because this is a heavy time for you. And we, you know, we're very um, respectful of that and, and just want to make sure that even stuff that we're asking that it's not triggering for you. Oh, yeah. It's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. Uh, I, I want to add this before I go into that question. Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes, Elected officials, as far as like uh, the people running the city, right? State reps, the mayor, the mayor's chief of staff, when they initiate a settlement, mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, I, I know like from my experience, you have people who understand the justice system, right? Mm -hmm. They know it's broken and they know that because the police right are responsible uh and those they know that these officers are going to get off so a settlement for them is really them trying to make it right because ultimately they have no power over what happens in court mm. right and and so that's just something to think because a lot of times people like be like you know they got a settlement they're trying to shut them up or it's not, it's not hush money, right? It's like, it's, you know, from my experience, it was people saying like, yo, like, this is messed up. How could we make it right? And mm -hmm. so the thing is, even in my case, I could have went back to court, right? Um, but I, I witnessed like, out of my jury pool, out of over a hundred people to select from, there were zero black folks. Oh, wow. Right? Um, and all, and, and, and so like when you have a civil trial, like, uh, Pittsburgh, it, I, I think Pittsburgh is like 21%, 18 to 21% black. When you go outside of Pittsburgh or when you go outside of Allegheny County, which Pittsburgh sits in that County, it drops dramatically, Absolutely. right? 6% black, 4% black. And the jury pool is coming from six different counties. Right. And so that's why we don't have, you know, a lot, a, that many black people. And so that part of the system is so fractured. And then you have these district attorneys or attorney generals who are also elected officials, mm -hmm. right? And so a lot of times their biggest uh, contributors to their campaigns are the police unions, mm -hmm. right? And so this is why, you know, I hear some people talking about, yo, like, you know, the system doesn't work and we got you don't vote or whatever but i we, we've seen you know people literally you know what i'm saying um immigrants coming to america where be it if you want to say they were in the mob or the mob they pulled their dollars together collectively and they historically owned politicians 
Mm-hmm. Right? They they got things done. You know what I'm saying? And so my thing is, you know, we have to literally have a mission, pull our dollars, our resources uh, together and buy our self-interest. Like that, and that is what other communities do that we don't do collectively. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's awesome, Leon, to hear you say that. Because I don't think a lot of people really know how disjointed um, the judicial system, you know, our, that system really is. You know, just um, everyone just thinks we're throwing dollars. But, you know, you do have people who say, I can't win this case. You don't understand. It's not that I don't want to try it. I can't win it because of A, B, and C. So this is the best I can offer you because this is broken. And I think just hearing that right now probably just provided so much revelation for so many people who just think that the system just works in a vacuum. And it's so disjointed and so fractured. And it's, about, it's also about relationships, right? Yeah. So when you, when you see that, that, that white dude or, or Italian dude, you know, with that certain Italian last name in that city and he does the same thing that Tyrone did and Tyrone got 15 years and he got probation, but you don't realize that his grandfather done funded this judge's campaign. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And his grandfather has a relationship with that judge, right? And so we got to remember that judges are elected officials, mm-hmm. right? I, you know, I, um, I, I mean, a judge is going to sit longer than the two-term president. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I don't see, you know, the community going out and voting in judges. It was a black woman in Pittsburgh who, who tried like three times to become a judge and nobody voted. You know what I'm saying? She didn't win. And she mm-hmm. was very qualified and, and it's an elected position, right? And so when we think about these cases, I get and I understand the emotionalism of the movement, but we got to stop giving the mic to people who can scream the loudest because they don't really understand the process. And just because they can scream the loudest and they can articulate their pain doesn't mean that they can articulate solutions that can transform our lived experience as Black people in America. And so that's my frustration with the movement. I know y'all didn't ask that. (laughs) We need that insight. is, Is that we give the mic to the people who can scream the loudest and they are, you know, emotional and justified. Their, you know, their emotions, their feelings are justified. We can acknowledge their feelings, but let's stop exploiting them because they can articulate their pain and make us sad so that white people can give us money, you know, and we can raise money from these white people because they are not, white people are not going to fix our problems. We have to fix our problems, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why, you know, I always talk about self-love, self-care, and self-correction individually and collectively you know what i'm saying and so yeah i just i don't know how we no, got no, there no no, no, no. We no need it's okay no, 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 that no, insight no. for yeah. sure yeah like and, so and like, hold on can we go back to the other question though that he didn't get to answer mm-hmm. what was the question the ptsd one yeah what what i do is um so one of one of my favorite books it's probably my top 10 is uh as as a man thinketh by James Allen, and in that book, James Allen talks about how the mind is likened to a garden, right? Mm-hmm. And and whether we sow good seeds or bad seeds in that garden, it's going to come forth, 
right? It's, it's going to produce something. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we have to be very intentional about uh, cultivating the garden in our minds, right? Because what happens if you don't cut, cut your grass? You don't have weeds and all types of stuff. Yeah. If you keep it if you if you keep it cultivated and if you nurture your garden, it's going to be beautiful. You have some nice flowers and all that in there. And so I know what I need, you know, to to function. I know what I want to see in my garden, and I'm very intentional about cultivating my garden. Right. So that looks like going to therapy every Monday. That looks like meditating. That looks like reading, right? Um, that that looks like you know talking to people and and having people in my life that add value. I don't have anybody in my life that does not add value, right? That's the one of my like. I'm always how do you add value to my life? You know, um, I'm very intentional about the conversations that I have. You know, I'm I'm very solution based. And th those are the things that keep my garden cultivated, right? So I can bring forth a positive mindset. And that's how I deal with the, the PTSD. Thank you. Thank you, Liam. I wanted to ask you, um, do you know if the officers from your experience are still officers? Yeah, they're, they're detectives. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And so it's interesting, again, even, you know, so it goes back to dollars, right? So even if the police chief uh, or the police chief or the mayor fires the officer, the police unions are going to get them their jobs back. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so, you know, we have to figure out, all right, cool. Like how much money is, are these, you know, unions uh, um, given to these politicians and how can we leverage our dollars to compete against the unions to, really you know control our, our communities right mm -hmm. and so it's interesting so i ran for a city council right and uh the district that i live in is predominantly black i had a meeting with a guy who invited some friends who were power brokers right they were all white right they were all white and they had some interests in district nine and they were going to ensure no matter who was in office, a Republican, a Democrat, uh, 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 you know, uh, a male, a female, it doesn't matter. They, they wasn't talking in politics. They were, they were talking in dollar, dollars and interest, mm. right? And, and so as long as we you know, are small-minded and, and we talk in, in politics um, and, or, or religion or you know, the many different things that divide us, we, we won't see any results, right? We, we have to talk in dollars and interest and until as black people, we can have a collective interest because, you know, we still got an interest, but my interest may be different than the next black person, right? Because the black experience is so nuanced. We've seen that with the attorney general in Breonna Taylor's case, right? He's a, he's a black man. However, the black experience is nuanced. And so, um, you know, his interest is bought by um, the Republican Party or, or a certain facet of the Republican Party. And so his decision was based on the influence of police culture, right? Uh, and, and so if, if we backtrack five years ago or however long it was when he was appointed that position, 
if I don't, I don't know if you look at where his funding sources came from, I guarantee you it's connected to the decision that he made. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's how the, the system works. And so while I, I love that we're in the streets and we're protesting, you know, if, if we're not intentional about, you know, pulling our dollars together for our self-interest, viewing ourselves as assets in a community, right? That self-love, self-care, self-correction, um, then we will continue to see our lives being disrespected, right? And devalued uh, in, in this country. And, and, and Tom Burrell, he has a great book called Brainwashed, where he talks about a lot of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I, you, you're 100% right. And you've, you've experienced it. I obviously have not experienced a system like that. I do think there are still some people that are flawed, you know, within the system. And like even that guy in Kentucky, and because I, I heard he's even related to Mitch McConnell. So there's just other interests there that, you know, are disturbing. But that's not the topic of this podcast today. Right. We want to get back to mental health. So I want to go to Dr. Stallworth who can um, really kind of bring us back around to dealing with triggers and trauma and offer our listeners just some final words of encouragement um, because it is heavy right now. I mean, you know, so many of my friends, Leon, on my timeline, you know, they're just like the posts are like, you know, I'm tired of being tired. You know, every day, every hour, we feel like it's something different from you know hearing stories that are similar to yours to so many others so in addition to us doing what we need to do um in terms of self-interest right and educating ourselves and learning how to fight the system and not just have loud voices what can we do also to protect our mental wellness um with everything all the great stuff that leon mentioned in terms of nurturing his garden i really love that analogy um, to protecting your mind and nurturing your garden. I thought that was incredible. So Dr. Stallworth, can, can you give us some, some words uh, to share? So just a few things that I just want to piggyback off that Leon said as I kind of just, you know, kind of bring some things to a close. But um, one of the things that just really poignant to me about the wounded healer, you know, and I know it's kind of heavy, but just bear with me, you know, how the scripture says we are uh, saved by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. You know, and people's testimonies actually do help to change and deliver and, and move and motivate other people. And so, you know, it is powerful when we tell our testimony, when we talk about our story, um, you know, and that's part of what therapy does, help us to process our stories so that it does not become a, a bunch of triggers everywhere we go, that everything we look at is a trigger, but that we're able, our brain and our body and our emotions are able to be, are able to have a conversation inside and say, I know what this is and I'm safe. I can look at this and I'm safe. I can talk about this and I'm safe because I know how to, you know, your brain, your body knows how to put it back in the shelf. You know, once you've pulled it out to speak about it, you know, you, your brain, you, you, you process it to put it back in the shelf. And so I think that, I think that um, as people, we have to truly stop believing that we are, you know, and I, and I know a lot of people may not like this, we're not gods. You know, we cannot go, 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 poor, 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 poor. We, we can't do that. We have to actually be intentional about turning it off. We have to be intentional about turning the TV off because there is peripheral trauma. You know, watching this stuff every day, watching it on the internet to the point where it's you're, not that you're so um, disengaged by it, but because your brain and your mind are overwhelmed by it. And then being able to talk to someone, being able to stop the madness for a second and just be, be honest with how you feel 
And I think that people have to almost be invited to do that. It's almost like people need to have permission to, to talk about how they feel. And so I encourage people to find, you know, right now there's a, a kind of a new saying that the mental health professionals have joined the front lines because now, you know, they're having to support both healthcare workers and then the general public. And then we have this, the, the situation with the racial situation going on. And there's so much going on where people are now saying, is it okay for me to come and talk? And I, you know, I want to tell everybody, yes, this is the time. These are the times where if this is where, you know, you need to come and talk, do so. Because, you know, trauma is a heavy burden. It is a heavy load to bear. And if you try to bear it, you know, people try to bear it alone. And there are so many people who want to help you. You know, we're here, we want to support you. We wanna walk with you through that process. We know we can't carry your burden for you, but we wanna support you through that process because, you know, we know it's hard. You know, I champion and I commend the people who have um, things on board already. That's kind of what I say. People who already have diagnoses or people who are already dealing with trauma or depression or something, you know, grief, who are able to reach back and support other people, not because they have the same experience, but because they have, they're going through similar things. You know, my experience might be different from your experience, but we can walk through this valley together and mm -hmm. I'll support you through that. So I think being able to allow yourself to be supported, I think just looking in the mirror and saying, today I'm going to allow myself to be supported and knowing that it's okay. No one's going to judge you. No one's going to hate you. And also to shop around. You know, sometimes we think that we land on the first counselor and that's the one. And it, it may not be. And you might have to, you know, I was, it's a, you know, it's not a joke, but you might have to, what is it, swipe right or swipe left? You know, if that counselor's not working, I don't know which one it is, whichever one is not the good counselor. But, you know, if that counselor's not working for you, it's okay to shop around and find one that fits, that, you know, that fits your niche, that understands you, that understands you culturally, that understands you as a man or a woman, that understands you, you know, as who you are and your, you know, and your trueness. And so I really think that taking the opportunity to do so and following in the lead, you know, and if Leon can take that, the fight of his life and go and say, I have got to talk about this. I have got to release this burden. I have got to process this. I have got to get through this. Like he said, when the fight would be down, he'd be like, now what? What do I do now? Who am I now? You know, so being able to navigate that and process that, you know, I, you know, I, I dare not even ask, do you have a better sense of who you are today than you did then? Because just hearing you articulate and talk, you know, but, um, but yeah, so just being able to get that support and get that help and, and being intentional about it. I would say, especially right now, be intentional about that. I'm going to mute, but um, be intentional about it. Thank you, Dr. Sauer. Three, do you have any um, final thoughts or questions or words? Yeah, now that, I mean, I've been blessed to be able to see the whole process of you, bro. So, I, you know what I'm saying? I saw you at the fight of um, with the officers going through your case, developing into a, you know, a speaker, doing all these different things. And I remember when you, me and you discussed about even um, you and your position in your city and what you intended on doing there. Now that you have done these things, and in retrospect, what do you feel like is next for you? What do you, what do you want for Leon? And what is Leon shooting for next? Yeah, I, um, I'm just walking in my victory, bro. Mm. Like every day, just, you know, listening to my spirit, Wherever I'm caught, that's where I show up, you know? Uh, and, and lately I've been called to help people heal, right? Before I was trying to heal people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, now 
you know, like a, a, a meeting with me now, right? I, I've, I've been meeting with some activists here in my city and the meeting looks like me saying, yo, I love you. I appreciate you. And I think that what you're doing is phenomenal. Tell me more about yourself. And I listen to their stories. And then, you know, whenever I, I can speak, you know, I share bits and pieces of my story. And, you know, uh, I can see the parallels, right? And I offer insight to help them prevent that burnout that I experienced, where I completely didn't want anything to do with the movement, right? And and you know, and I, and I felt like I couldn't live a, a life. I couldn't go, you know, have a good time because I felt guilty because I felt like I should have been organizing the protest, right? Um, and and so I just you know give I, I share my lived experience and I provide you know resources. I just put in the chat. I don't know if you had a chance to click on it, but I uh, developed with a, a few friends a, a self care toolkit. So I used to tell people, you know, they'd say, hey, how do you smile? How do you stay happy? And I would say self-care, right? Uh, but then one of my one of my homies was like, bro, like, but what is it? <laughs> like, I hear you saying self-care, but what is it, right? And, and so uh, we developed this handbook, right, that is free. And so when I meet with these activists, when I meet with these leaders in my city or wherever, I share my story with them, I you know talk about uh, the process of going to therapy and healing, and then I say, "Yo, here's my short film, and 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 here's this self care handbook that you can look and you can read and you can watch, and you know, and I just I'm trying to inspire as many people to save themselves before they self destruct." Mm -hmm. Leon, boy, I tell you. So proud of you, my brother. We have been so cool. And I mean, just to echo in everybody else's words, like so inspired and empowered by you. And we did receive the self-care toolkit. We appreciate it. Um, is it okay if we post that as a resource? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Y'all can share. I'm trying to share that with as many people as I can. So we love, we're going to post it on our Silence to Shame website under resources. Perfect. Um, and we'd also like to use a snippet of your film to post on our socials at some point, just because it is such a riveting and powerful story. And we can point people to wherever you want to get the views and so forth or where, however they can view it or download or pay for it or whatever. We want to be able to support you. So Free will get back in touch with you with that. But just, I mean, this conversation was truly, you know, blessed by God. And, and we just thank you, brother, for the work that you're doing. We certainly would love to have you as one of our Silence to Shame ambassadors um, to be able to do more work so you can, you know, continue to help heal because we are in the, you know, process of expanding and uh, we're launching some uh, actually, oh, this is going to be good. So we have a new, we're launching a new initiative, Leon, around storytelling <clears throat> for young people. And so it's called Young, Black, and Well. Mm. We're going to have a silent, uh, um, Instagram page and it'll be powered by Silence of Shame, but just to have a safe place and space that we can share stories. And then we're also going to have Young, Brown, and Well to share young stories um, for 
um, BIPOC people, Black Indigenous people of color. Um, but we love for you to help us kick off and launch just with a short video for Young, Black, and Well. We plan on launching it on World Mental Health Day on October 10th. Okay. So, um, and it's just, you know, casual videos that you can shoot right on your phone. But I think you'd be a powerful ambassador for Young, Black, and Well. And we would be honored to have you. Not to put you on the spot or anything. No, know? it's look, man. We family, like, free. I'm just so grateful to free. He's been talking about you for a long time, I got to say. Um, I'm a little all over the place and hectic, but you know, thank you, Free, for staying on us and bringing this incredible conversation um, to our Silence the Shame podcast and platform. We're, we're He's just a necessary great. voice. Yeah, both of you guys are. Mm. And Dr. Stallworth, we're always so grateful um, to have your expertise, and we're certainly looking forward to doing more with you um, this year with Silence the Shame and. Um, can I just say, Leon, it's just, it was just an honor to meet you. Like, I mean, I, I know that, you know, people sometimes get excited about meeting celebrities and things like that, but just to see someone so resilient and to see someone who, um, you know, just went through what you went through and just, you know, and I, and for lack of a better word, can just, you know, look people in the eye, even look, you know, you look the devil in the eye, you know, so to speak, and you're like, still standing, I, st I got away, you know, and just to see how powerful and tall you are in the spirit is just it's just an honor to meet you you just you know i know people tell you that a lot you know and i'm not just you know doing those superficial blow but i'm just telling you, you know that's just really an honor to see such resilience in a human being so thank you likewise i, I would love to stay connected as well and you know uh to all of you right uh, i think this this was a, a a powerful conversation and i'm sure i'll come back at, at a later time um, but yeah, let, let's stay connected. If, uh, free, if you can share my uh, contact information. For sure. And uh, tell our listeners, Leon, how they can find you on social media. Yes, you can find me at Leon Ford Speaks on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook. I'm Leon Ford. And also, I have a book on Amazon, uh, yes. Untold. And so, uh, free, if you uh, send me, uh, you text me your address, I'll send a few copies. Um, for you, Shanti, in April, Dr. April, mm. sorry. Um, and yeah, so Leon Ford, uh, Untold on on Amazon. Uh, you can purchase my book. You can follow me on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Leon Ford Speaks. Amazing, amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Dr. Stallworth, mm. how can our um, listeners find you? I'm at Dr. Underscore Stallworth on Instagram. Free the vision. How can we find you, young man? That is the same by that name exactly. <laughs> um, you can find me at Free the Vision everywhere. I'm Free the Vision everywhere, literally dot com everywhere. Okay, mm. and you can find me at Shanti Das four o four on Instagram and Twitter. I don't give out my personal Facebook because it's personal. Um, and I'm proud to announce that I'm relaunching my book um, called Silencing My Shame that I launched in 2018, but life got in the way, didn't really do anything to promote it. But I've added two new chapters, one about my visit to India, um, getting uh, the opportunities. You guys know my dad died by suicide, but I got a chance to finally visit the area where his, he and his family lived. And then I wrote about my sister who passed away last year. Um, and then my grief journey. So Silencing My Shame will be relaunching. I'm really excited about that as well. You can get it on shantidas.biz 
again, thank you everyone um, for supporting Silence to Shame, um, supporting our virtual 5K, which is still happening. You can go on our Instagram, click our click the link in our bio and, and go for a walk. Register to walk in somebody's name. It's only $12 to register, um, but consider walking and, and you know um, the funds will go towards our programs um, and resources in the community as we continue to empower and educate our communities around emotional health and wellness. So again, I am Shanti Das, mm -hmm. your host and my co-host, Free the Vision. Yes, yes. I love you, Leon, do free. Yes, um, I, and I got to just say that to you. I love you very much, Leon. Thank you for doing this, bro, for real, for real. Um, but for everybody, please make sure that you rate, subscribe, share, and comment on these things here um, on our podcast and just all that we're doing. Follow us on Instagram and, and Facebook and Twitter. Um, Instagram, right, you said Shanti is at Silence to Shame. Yep. Facebook and Twitter is at Silence TH Shame. Um, but yeah, share this content. Share this content with as many people as possible, please. Brother Leon, y'all remember this name, Leon Ford. If you don't know him, get to know him, know his story, know his journey, know his heart, know his mind, know his soul, know his bravery, know his transparency, know his vulnerability, and know the man, Leon Ford. We salute you, young king. Mm -hmm. You stay safe and you be well, and we will always be here to uplift you and continue to water that garden and plant those seeds so that your mind will always be protected and honored. Thank you so much for listening. Take time, save a life, and silence the shame.